continue on through the summer here. Summer's drifting away before we even realize it. And Lucas, we find ourselves in another situation here on Elwood City Limits where we are in, well, was endorsing the right, it was supporting. Supporting and showing solidarity with another strike. This one also kind of ties into Arthur a little bit. This, this literally just started happening the day before we recorded this, but right now as we speak, and you may be hearing this a week early, uh, or sorry, a week later, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, currently, as of August 22nd, there is a strike going on in Ontario, which is several provinces away from us here in Nova Scotia. TVO is on strike, TV Ontario, which is an Ontario public broadcaster, and they also are one of the stations that airs Arthur here in Canada. In fact, this whole season of Arthur that we've been doing, we've been watching the uploads on TVO Kids on YouTube. You stole my fire, Will. I was about to say <laughs> I had this strike top of mind, and lo and behold, you sent me the episode to watch this week. And what is the channel that uploaded it? None other than TVO Kids. So, yes, solidarity to those folks uh, striking for better wages over at TVO. True that. We have the ongoing SAG after strikes, and we've had a we've had a very a very strike heavy year which i think ultimately is a good thing because it's leading yeah. to hopefully workers being paid fairly and just as a little bit of information here so tvo workers they walked off the job monday the 21st after months of bargaining they are fighting for meaningful wage increases in order to combat the ongoing inflation here in canada and north america and to cease the use of temporary contracts for permanent work so they can be given more benefits for doing permanent work so it all makes sense and we just wanted to lend our solidarity to them as a property as as a property and people that are tangentially related to what we're doing here on elwood city limits the episodic arthur podcast uh, obviously the most pressing element of all these kind of labor actions in the entertainment industry is getting people better quality of life earning fair wages you know mm -hmm. combating inflation that sort of thing but there is a little bit of a side effect, which I'm just ready for there to be less stuff, you know? Maybe read some <laughs> books for once. Like, I, I was hearing all these reports of, like, oh, my goodness, all these streaming channels and all of Hollywood and the entire entertainment industry is going to grind to a halt and customers aren't going to be happy when there's no new shows for, like, six months. And I'm like, you know what? That actually sounds kind of awesome. Read a yeah. book. Instead of a million shows and movies and things to keep up with? We've been dining on the dense cake of streaming services and constantly churning content mills. I think it's time to, to lighten it up a bit. Let's get some like fluffiness in here. And yes, let's let's pursue other interests outside of what's going on on our television screens. Now, obviously, that's up to us, but man, there's just so much coming out. And, and a lot of it can be really good or at least really interesting and of the time. So that's a, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it too. Of course, my name is Will Young. My co-host is Lucas Mancini. We are here to talk about Arthur once again. Uh, before we get to that, of course, a couple things up top we always like to do. Let's start off with the emails, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We just have one email this time around. Uh, this one is from DJ. Greetings, Will and Lucas. 
Forgive me for being belated in saying this, but I thank you wholeheartedly for reading my first email back in episode 194. It definitely made my evening. I can assure you I laughed out loud as I heard you remember those funny ECL moments I listed. On to the main topic of this email. I noticed you two compare Arthur to The Simpsons quite frank, quite frequently on the podcast, especially when it comes to the structure of some of its jokes. My question is, which Arthur characters would you consider counterparts to the many faces of Springfield? If I were to share one comparison, it'd be between Sue Ellen and Lisa Simpson. Both are smart eight-year-old girls who are talented saxophone players, vegetarians, and can get on their soapboxes occasionally. Do you agree with this comparison? Thanks again for the entertainment. Have a great weekend and good luck during your season 18 journey. Well, thank you, DJ. So Simpsons, we've definitely compared Arthur to once or another time. And so we start out there with Sue Ellen and Lisa. I think that's pretty apt. Just I would probably combine Sue Ellen and Fern, and that would make a Lisa Simpson. Uh, there's some pretty easy ones, right? Buster and Bart. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Binky and Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Arthur the... and Milhouse, kind of. <laughs> uh, what's the kid's name? Is it Ralph? Brain and Ralph? Uh, well, nah. no, 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 not Ralph. I'm thinking of the other guy. Oh, um, oh, oh, uh, Martin. Martin, yes, Brain and Martin. Um, maybe just for that they both annoy me. In some ways, Mr. Ratburn is Ned Flanders, but in many key ways, he is not. So it's not perfect. Uh, there's not a whole lot of adult characters to go around. I suppose. You know what? Of, yeah. Uh, I would say that, uh, Mr. Haney. A little bit of of uh, Skinner kind of vibes from Mr. Haney, especially Ooh. when he's. I, I, uh, no, actually, you know what? I disagree. I think Skin. I think Skinner and Ratburn are the more. Mm, and I would mm. say Mr. Haney is more of a Homer. Oh, interesting! Interesting! High praise for Mr. Haney. Oh yeah. Um, no, we'll use this opportunity to talk about. Um, did you see that post going around Twitter, Will, about Matt Groening's family? No. And how, like, Matt Groening's dad was named Homer. And he had a sister named Lisa and another sister named Maggie. It, like, blew my mind. Uh, uh, or no, no, no. He had one sister named Maggie and Lisa. And he had another sister that was, uh, like, Thelma. Like, like it was it's just, like, and his mom's name was Marjorie. Like, hmm. I, I never knew all of this, that uh, the Simpsons characters were all named after real people. I well, And it's certainly not Homer. I couldn't believe someone was actually named Homer. Well, and it's interesting you say that because that's a direct comparison to Mark Brown and Arthur. Mark Brown got a lot of the major Arthur characters' names from his family or kids that he knew he knew when he was young. So it seems that he and Matt Groening have very similar uh, fe- wells of inspiration to draw from. But I think I, I think I had heard something like that from either Talking Simpsons or something like that. Uh, by the way, Talking Simpsons, fantastic podcast. But uh, I hadn't seen that particular post going around, at least not this time around. Homer Groening, born in Saskatchewan. Oh, really? Is yeah? Is Groening is, is Matt Groening Canadian, or was he born in America? He was born in Portland, Oregon. So I Homer see. Groening, he. Uh, Grew up in a like Russian Mennonite community. A lot of Mennonites in the prairies. Yeah. Uh, hence why his name is something like Homer. <laughs> kind of makes sense there. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, just so, some weird Simpsons facts this week on our Arthur podcast. Um, speaking of facts, by the way, this wasn't an email, but uh, Yoshi, who is one of our patrons, uh, messaged me 
and said on the last episode when we were talking about Arthur saying Shanti, Shanti, Shanti in the uh, in the poetry reading, that's a reference to a poem by T.S. Eliot. So he was reading from a, from T.S. Eliot. That's where that was coming from. And we didn't we didn't get that reference. So thank you, Yoshi. Appreciate. Hey, look, as, as much as I'm looking at my English degree, sometimes that thing is just made out of paper. It doesn't mean that I'm like smart or know things or anything. So we appreciate when y'all fill in for us. Uh, thank you, DJ, for the email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com if you'd like yours read on the air or if you just want to leave us some feedback. We also want to say thank you to our patrons over at Patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. Now, of course, the last few weeks... Uh, we have had the latest episode of ECL Origins uploaded. That is about, it's part one of two, talking about shows by Mainframe Entertainment. The episode that we recorded last month is all about reboot. And next week, we will be recording the new episode of ECL Origins. We're going to be doubling up because we're going to get into part two. And I'll tell you a bit more about that at the end of the episode. But right now, we want to say thank you for everybody who is financially supporting us over there. People such as John Dulong. Happy belated birthday here on the podcast, John. Uh, thank you to Teresa Ross Ward, May- Macy Ball, Caitlin Harrington Robinson. Uh, thank you to Marlo Stanfield and Michelle Sprzynski. Thank you to Allison Archambault and Kelly Corbett. Thank you to Zara and Young Wee. Thank you, Jenny Cardenas, Rory Forever, and Ash. Thank you as well to Alicia, to Hannah Lee, and thank you to Marco and William. And if you haven't heard your name in a while, just let let us know. I kind of, I have an Excel document open, and I try to vary it up as much as possible. But if it's been a while since I've said your name, just let me know here. One trend that we've been going through, not outside in the real world, there's been strikes and all that kind of thing. But here on Arthur, that's what we're most concerned with. And a new trend that we've been seeing, that we've been talking about, amongst other trends here on the show, is the doubling up of stories on an episode. So one character or two specific characters will get a focus of an entire 22-minute block. They'll get both stories. And this time, (laughs) let's see how we feel about a double helping of DW and Bud. So let's start off with... The Tattletale Frog. Both of these, just of interest, have cold opens that are introduced by Arthur, acting something as the patrician of the DW story. So in The Tattletale Frog, Arthur says that DW is perfect and never does anything wrong. Or at least that's because when something does go wrong, she blames someone else. Whether it's Arthur or whether it's the wind... Uh, there's a brief cutaway where DW is imagined to be George Washington, who famously cut down the cherry tree. But if it was DW with the powdered wig and everything, she would just say it cut down itself. Uh, Arthur introduces this non sequitur by saying if George Washington were like DW, history would have went different. Um, (laughs) And that's just kind of a a really fun hypothetical. You know, there's lots of historical figures we could replace with DW and see what the world would have been like. You know what I mean? Well, well, so you are more versed on, let's say, American presidents than I am. Um, what if DW were in George Washington's place? What do you, what would have changed? 
now listen, I don't want to, you know me, Will, and, and I would count you amongst us as well. We're both strong DW defenders. I know some people in the Discord, they like to rag on DW. Um, but I will say she is a four-year-old girl, which I don't necessarily trust with a four-year-old girl with taking on the British Empire. Um, nor do I trust them to, you know, win a revolutionary war and then kind of run a brand new country. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if DW was instead of George Washington, America probably wouldn't exist today. But that sounds kind of negative. Well, it could, maybe it would end up just being Ponyland. Mm, then that would be very positive. Could you imagine if it was just Ponyland of the South? My Ponyland is of thee. Ah, uh, man, that would be something. And then who knows what we up here in Canada would be. DW doesn't take the blame for such things. However, she was only ever blamed for something once, which is the subject of this story. It's a lazy day at home for DW and Bud. Oh, sorry. It's that, yeah, someone's whoa. driving by. They heard it was a Bud episode and they sped away. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Maybe it was Bud himself. He's driving that motorcycle when he's uh, of age. Uh, DW and Bud are very bored. This is something that we don't get, we haven't gotten in a long time, but feels like it's very of the original Arthur episodes when a true problem is, I'm bored. I think, I, I'm sure kids get bored today. And sorry if I feel like we've talked about this before, but it's just, it's gotta be harder to get bored today, right? Again, especially if you have unlimited iPad time. Mm-hmm. I don't think those iPad kids are getting bored. Maybe if they don't have access to their phone to also watch someone play Subway Surfers while they're playing Minecraft, you know, they kind of get half bored because their attention's not being split in three different directions. Like, if mom says, sorry, you can't use my phone, your father's phone, and the iPad at the same time, so you can be watching Subway Surfers, Skibbity Toilets, and playing Minecraft, or watching toy unboxing videos all at the same time, maybe then they get bored. But yeah, I feel like, unless you're the type of kid where it's like, okay, tech time's over, get outside, how are kids getting bored these days? Uh, I, there's got to be a way. Uh, there, there, well, there has yeah. to be a way. I will say this, though, Will. I feel like getting bored is kind of the luxury of a child. You know what I mean? Yeah, we might yeah, be, We might true. be putting ourselves into the situation a little too much in that we, me and you cannot imagine a universe where we're bored because <laughs> there's never time to do all the things we want to do for leisure, um, whereas a kid has nothing but time. So maybe, you know, we're victims of our age here. But, yeah, I, I can imagine that, you know, how could you be bored if you have an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> How could you be bored? You can just lay down on your bed and uh, curl up in a ball and think about all the things you did wrong in your life. That'll that'll pass 20 minutes. But kids, again, like you say, kids have the luxury of not even being able to think on that level yet, especially at DW and Bud's age. So they play a few board games. W gets tired of Bud beating her at every game. And we go through some recognizable ones. Uh, they play a couple of rounds of No Guessing. Uh, they try Tower of Cows. There's another one called yeah, yeah. This was Weasel great, Rally. This was a great little montage for the heads. Uh, anytime <laughs> Tower of Cows gets mentioned, us folks who've been watching Arthur for a minute now always appreciate it. I always thought Tower of Cows looked like the most fun out of all the fake board games. Like Confuse the Goose was always so abstract. You don't really know what they're doing. Um, whereas Tower of Cows seems to just be Jenga, but with little plastic cows, which seems like a fun game. 
I think so. Uh, Confuse the Goose, which I'm sure we talked about many, many years ago at this point. It, it's it's a really good representation of one of those. I, I, I want to prescribe this to the 90s. I'm sure they're still making these types of games. But the one that has like the big gigantic object that may or may not be electronic that you have to set up. Um, Weasel Rally is a deep cut. I had to look this. I'm looking this up right now. It's in Arthur's Almost Boring Day when DW asks him if he wants to play Weasel Rally or Confuse the Goose. So this is what Weasel Rally actually looks like, and it's got also got an elect- electronic element to it. Um, they also play Rock Paper Scissors. Bud wins each one, and then finally DW invents a new game called Throw the Hat, which initially is just her throwing the hat. But Bud is, I, and we say the, the hat. Well, we gotta clarify, right? But we yeah. talk. We're talking about Bud's hat here. That's DW right. DW essentially hat. assaults Bud. She grabs his out of frustration with Bud winning all the games. She throws his hat, and then and then yeah, she's and it's she's not really inventing a game. She's just like I've got a game called Throw the Hat. She throws it, and then Bud, sweet, um, singular-minded Bud who has. Barely a bad thing to say about anybody. Just like, well, that looks like fun. I'm going to throw it farther. Like, takes her at uh, face value. And he th- throws it even far. Like, he does this thing with, like, you- I think you do this with the boomerang in uh, Ocarina of Time, where he, like, throws it out of the window and it kind of loops around to the other window. It's pretty impressive. But DW throws the hat and it ends up uh, accidentally breaking a tchotchke that her dad owns. So she throws it into mom and dad's room and it ends up breaking this singing frog it's one of those singing animal statue things sort of like the mounted fish it's a dapper frog in a blue suit he's sitting on a log and he sings a frog themed takeoff of the camp town races so like I, I forget what the actual lyrics are, but like the frog town races sing this song ribbit and then you can see as it crashes to the ground it's there's no repairing this like the eyeball comes out and is completely broken and the you know just the audio completely corrupts so dw and bud want to cover this up as much as possible so they try and get rid of the evidence uh this is i should also mention dad reed is out in the garage he's preparing for uh a catering event and initially got rid of DW and Bud by being like, why don't you guys play a game? But he is a factor in this episode. So DW tries to get Bud's hat back because it is now in the place of where the frog was on the shelf. So they have a couple of methods here. Throwing objects onto the shelf where it's stuck. They try using a golf club, and as they're doing this, they're creating even more of a mess. And they try using a fan as well, like a plug-in fan. We do get to see a little bit of detail around mom and dad's room that we don't normally see. So, for example, of the items on the shelf, we see that dad, Reed, has an accordion. Not the big, full piano key accordion, but one of those, like, one of, the, one of those almost stereotypical ones you see in, like, Pinocchio or something. The little handheld ones. Yeah. Or that you would, you would see, like, a monkey where <laughs> yeah okay there finally will you put it into terms i understand <laughs> <laughs> and they also have a collection of cacti mom and dad read on their windowsill they have like several of these so that's what they that's what they like to do in their spare time they're creating all all of this mess there is a funny part where they need to go downstairs to prop open a door 
DW spots a vase, and in her head, she's like, like, why don't we use that? And then she thinks of Mom Reed saying, like, oh, no, that vase has been in this family for a hundred years as to its broken shards. And then we go back to reality. DW says, that old thing's perfect. <laughs> it's a bit hard yeah, to explain is... without seeing it, but it's it's just re- very well-timed and DW completely missing the message. Well, it's funny, too, because it's it's kind of a callback to earlier in the episode, DW has a, a kind of an imagination where uh, she's picturing Dad Reed finding the broken frog and being, like, cartoonishly upset about it. Um, yeah. And in this, we bring back Mom Reed, who is talking about, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a great family heirloom. It's been in her family for literal years. And then DW's like, yeah, we'll use it as a doorstop. It, and, and you're right, in the dad read thing, he's he literally is like, D.W., you're in trouble. So they use it to prop open the door. It does uh, break open. This is when both mom and dad see the after effects of the mess that D.W. and Bud have made. Um, there is a f- also another funny thing I wrote down here. When mom comes back in, so dad sees... Like the va- the vase has been destroyed when he comes into the house. Mom goes upstairs to see everything that's happened in her room. As she's going upstairs, DW says, "Why don't you stay down here? There's nothing to see upstairs." And Mom says, takes a beat. What did you do? <laughs> very very good. So they see the after effects of all of this mess. Uh, they're cleaning up, and Mom sees that Bud's hat is still there. Bud has since gone home. I should also mention, this is the first time that we see Bud without his hat. So he's got a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm touching my own head of hair, because it's not dissimilar from the head of hair that I had as a kid. Just, you know, brown mop of hair. But it's the first time we see him without it on. So they spot Bud's hat, and it seems that she's going to talk to Bud's mother, and DW is kind of keep keeping Stum on the whole situation. She's not going to say one way or the other, but it's not really Bud's fault. A lot of the stuff they got up to was directly DW's idea. So this is where the, tell, the Tattletale Frog comes in, which is a takeoff on the Edgar Allan Poe poem, The Telltale Heart. And this is where the Telltale Heart part comes in, because DW previously put the frog in the trash. And as mom and DW are talking about the whole thing, we hear the frog in the trash. And in the telltale heart, it's a man murders a man and puts him beneath the floorboards. But as the police investigate, the man, the murderer, feels that he can hear the beating of the other man's heart. And that's what drives his guilt to eventually uh, confess to the police. And this also the the very the very uh, corrupted audio of the frog in the garbage uh, gets to DW. It makes her very very guilty. There is a line where mom hears it first. And she says, "What was that?" DW says, "I didn't hear a frog or anything like that." <laughs> and then that's, that's the main yeah. source of comedy from this episode is DW just being so bad at lying. Um, is kind of the running humorous through line. And the, that speaking of The Simpsons, that very much reminds me of, no, not my mouth, is what the kid would say. <laughs> so DW is so overcome with guilt. His mom is looking around the garbage. She's about to discover it. She's also 
on the phone with Bud's mother to have a talk about Bud, and D.W. breaks down crying. She's, she starts crying hysterically, and it's fairly realistic to start out with because it's at the apex of this stress, that the guilt that she has over breaking the frog and then going to blame it on Bud and just the panic and stress all come together and they burst out in a very childlike way, which is that she starts crying. And initially, she, you know, mom immediately goes to her and asks what's wrong. She can't even put it into words. In fact, they're kind of nonsense words. She's just like, yeah, I don't forget that porcupine party. And then eventually she's able to get it out where she says she was the one who broke the frog, not Bud. So she takes the blame for it and seemingly saves Bud from any trouble. And the end of the episode is the two of them communicating over the phone. DW is basically grounded. She can't go anywhere. She can't have friends over for a week. But she can still hang out with Bud over the phone. And they play rock, paper, scissors over the phone, which... I mean, you can game. We, we we go away from them before we see the result of their game. So you could assume that DW is just cheating. You could maybe maybe she is, maybe she isn't. Who's to know? Maybe Bud's cheating. Um, but I wanted to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about Bud's role in these two yes. episodes. Okay. And, yeah. Will, I'm so glad that you decided to address the uh, the B. The B-I-T-R, the bud in the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I wanted to address, I wanted to talk about the exact same thing. Bud's role in these two episodes. Well, why don't you go ahead and then I'll have my piece. Well, thank you. Um, really, what I want to say, and I think it more applies to this first story than the second one. I think the second one's a little bit better. But Bud, especially, and I'm, and I'm talking also in an overall scheme here, as we've been with him for a season or two now, he's kind of barely a character especially okay. especially here in this particular story <laughs> it's basically just dw getting in trouble and bud is there to facilitate her guilt and have her have another person she can blame it on you know bud fills the role that somebody like emily or james would he's just a little bit more out like he's a little bit quirkier like he's got here, a funny here's, accent here's an experiment will let's let's yeah. do a little experiment here I, i'm sure you're familiar with the red letter media star wars reviews yes uh and i got thinking of a little a little game Ooh. we could play with old bud here sure so, will describe the character of bud without mentioning his hat or the fact that he's from louisiana <laughs> Bud is nice. <laughs> He's positive. He's likes to play. <laughs> this is great. I'm so glad you remembered this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like even James, Go. Emily, any of the other preschoolers. Yeah. Any other character in Arthur really. Bud's older sister, for for instance. La yeah, Ladonna. Ladonna has way more characterization. Bud, literally, is just an excuse to have him say like folksy aphorisms. Yeah, he's just kind of a list of characteristics. He's not a character at this point. 
Well, he barely even has characteristics. He's a guy from Louisiana who says things like, I feel like I could fall into a barrel of skunks and come up smelling like a rose. But besides that, like, like we've barely even seen Bud exhibit any sort of emotion that isn't just unbridled positivity. Yeah. He's it, kind it, of a waste of space. A little, <laughs> like a little bit. And it's just like, it, it feels like, especially in this story, he was put in there to serve a need that wasn't actually a need. Like we weren't crying out for DW to have somebody her own age. She already does. Like before Bud came here, we were having episodes with her and Emily or there's, there's like a lot of episodes of her and Emily a couple of seasons ago or her and James. They're both at least a little bit more interesting duos because Emily and James are established characters at this point. And we haven't been with Bud for as long, but there doesn't seem to be any effort to like, make him have any sort of depth at this point. We've got a lot more show to go, so hopefully this will turn around. But yeah, for right now, I'm getting a little I'm getting a little sick. I'm getting a little sick of both. Well, okay, one more thing too. Yeah. Because it would be one thing if it was just like, okay, he's not that fleshed out of as a character. I gotta say, and much love to the people of Louisiana. I hear yeah. it's it's amongst the best states in the union to visit. I, I hope to go to Nolan someday myself Me and enjoy your uh, beautiful culture and food and sights and all that kind of stuff and then spend time with the beautiful people of Louisiana. Bud's voice, not even just the accent, the performance is annoying. I'm sorry. We've had enough of it now. Yeah. We've had a big enough sample size where, like, there's not even, like, an inflection or, like, an up and down with the performance because Bud is only ever having one emotion, which is, like, positivity he just kind of delivers all his lines like this and there's not really any sort of variation he just kind of talks like this all the time and i've had enough <laughs> there's only so much i can take i'm with i'm with you and I, I we i i i've said seasons before this that immediately the bud voice was like oh that's a bit much and now we have as we said a double dose of this character it's like oh god i'm 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 kind of i'm sick of listening to him after a while and it's not it's yeah it, i don't even think we're it's not necessarily the louisiana accent there's some people who have the louisiana accent and it's like beautiful it's wonderful exactly. to listen to i could listen to gambit talk all day long oh yeah <laughs> ma cherie <laughs> listen to him shuffle those cards but th but I also think it's it's the fact that LaDonna and Bud have traveled around a lot I don't think it's just it's it's more of like a general south accent I wouldn't necessarily put it with Louisiana specifically it's just that that's where they are from most recently so but, but, but thankfully the, it's not the all in the state I had in is that it's not just the accent it's the delivery and yeah. you know i don't want to harp you know we don't know if if the i'm sure the voice actor was directed to deliver these lines as such like i don't want to put the performance at the actor's feet uh, entirely um i just think the conception the whole bud character is wrapped up kind of in this vocal performance, and it's really starting to grate on me. So you're right. That is an important distinction to make. It's not just that the accent's annoying. It's like every time he opens his mouth, he's just annoying. Well, and it's also, we mentioned this when Bud first appeared. Bud's voice actor is Julie Lemieux. She's one of the few voice actors that, like, as soon as I heard Bud the first time, I'm like, I recognize her. And she's, she's 
have got a very recognizable voice. She's been around since the 80s and been in a bunch of cartoons that I've watched since I was a kid. Like, she's the voice of Rupert. She's in Monster by Mistake. So it's hard for me to hear but as a character because I'm just like, oh, this is his voice actor doing a voice. And and I agree, that's nothing against what Julie Lemieux is doing. I think she's a great voice actor, but it's just kind of more accent than character, which goes into the development of Bud overall. So, yeah, no, I'm glad we had the chance to talk about this because uh, there's a lot more of him to go. So let's go to first a word from us kids. This was kind of interesting. It wasn't. It's tangentially related to uh, the previous story, as the kids talk about chain reactions and the domino effect. How one thing leads to another. Now that is the that's the underlying part of this, and that's the reason, the kind of the moralistic reason why today's school activity is we're gonna make a bunch of domino tracks. Yeah, it's weird. I thought they were going to do something about how you should always tell the truth to kind yeah. of maybe tie it in with the episode a little bit more. But it feels like they actually got inspiration from Bud and DW's kind of schemes of trying to get the frog down. Because, um, yeah, the the word from us kids this week is let's make some Rube Goldberg machines. Which um, I've been in love with ever since I was a kid. So I was totally cool with this. And I got them I got them fresh on the brain. I just rewatched because Paul Rubens passed away. I just rewatched Pee Wee's Big Adventure and who could forget uh Pee Wee's mor- morning routine, which is all a big one of these. And it's the kids making blueprints for their own domino tracks and they're they're pretty simple. There's a couple of them that have like a few steps to them. There's one that involves like a domino falling onto a chair and then going through the chair and down to the floor. There's it gets decently involved for kids these age. And they're interesting to see. We also see a lot of them kind of failing or messing up and then them trying again, which leads to a lot of the kids making YouTube banner faces. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like <laughs> hands on head. Oh no, it fell. And it's obviously they're projecting towards the camera. And by this point, hey, kids are starting to watch YouTube. Maybe that's where they're getting it from. I don't know if the blue if the YouTube thumbnail face was a thing yet, but it that's what it reminded me of. Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast. Instagram, at at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be right on the show. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content, including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now back to the show. All right, DW and Bud's higher purpose. Again, Arthur is telling us here in the cold opening that DW, in her time, has had many loony schemes uh, on her own, like without any help from outside. So some of these have been 
selling tissues in a lemonade stand style sort of thing outside of the house. And uh, you get a discount if the tissue is used, which disgusts a woman who's going by. She also once pretended to be French so that her family would take her to France, which involved her uh, drawing on a stereotypical pencil-thin, <laughs> curly French mustache and speaking in, uh, you know, anglicized French, or rather, I'm I guess I should say Will, francified English. This is not helping uh, the theory, the working theory I established last week, that the Arthur writers seem to have a little bit of a an, anti-Frank, an anti-French bias <laughs> that's growing, or at least that's some pretty harsh language. I would, I would put it that it seems to be the French are becoming their favorite go-to kind of punching bag in a way to, like, make a... a Again, sounds really much stronger than it is, but it, it really does seem like they like to make fun of the French a lot. It, the very stereotypical beret mime baguette kind of way. Well, and perhaps it's because a lot of the staff who worked on Arthur from the beginning and voice actors and all that can sometimes be from the Montreal and Quebec City area. So mm, maybe maybe they feel a little bit more like, ah, we've, we've got the in, we can give them them a ribbing. But DW's loony schemes have only doubled since Bud has arrived. So we see them taking bits and pieces from the house, including one of Arthur's sheets and a baseball bat. And they create a boat out of household items in the front yard for them to sail to Jamaica. Or sail to Jamaica. The actual episode has to do with, this is another reappearance from season, well, from the early seasons, Arthur... DW, LaDonna, and Bud go to Wonderworld, the uh, the fair that we've heard quite a few times in the first couple of seasons, and the big ride this time. So this new scary ride is called the Buzzard. There is a mention of DW training for the Hurl-A-Whirl, and she gets it right. She doesn't call it the Hurly-Whirl. Uh, she says that to Bud. But DW and Bud want to go ride the Buzzard as Arthur and LaDonna are going to. In fact, they make a handshake pact. It's one of those... Hot poo. Uh, um, Bud spits into his hand and shakes DW's hand that no matter what, they are going to ride the buzzard together. Um, now, Lucas, we've established before with Bud's imaginary friend, Rapti. You're not a big oh. fan. I Okay, I kind of neutral. I will say, Rapti kind of made me laugh here. Like I, I got I got to be real. I got to be real. I, I have very few notes for this episode, Will. Okay. Uh, and get ready. Keep your eye on the timestamp because I'm about to swear. But one of the notes is simply Rapti. Whoa! <laughs> Man, like I know that you were you you were never a big fan of his design. Um, there's nothing about him that's really anything to write home about. He's just kind of a dinosaur. But this is getting into like full on vitriol. This is a bit of a surprise. I just, like, when the imaginary friends, what's so great about them is that they could be literally everything, anything. Yes. Um, and we just watched an episode where they just in rapid succession had five great creative imaginary friends. And the fact that I know now that Rapti is going to keep showing up and he is just kind of like a lesser reptar, both in design and in name. And I, it just seems like a huge missed opportunity. Well, what I liked is the couple of lines that Rapti got here, and Bud has brought him along. He is his stuffed dinosaur that 
when Bud imagines it, can turn into a real green T-Rex type of dinosaur with a friendly face. Um, when he does the pact and shakes hands, and he looks to Rafty of like, can I get a witness? He turns into a real dinosaur, duly noted, and then goes back to being a toy dinosaur. I laughed. Was, I thought that was that, funny. That was kind of funny. You're right. You're right. But that could have been anything. That's true. Good F. So DW and Bud wait in line for the buzzard for a long time. They A really, really long time for them. When they get to the front, they are denied from going on the buzzard because they are too short. Now, Lucas, if I was going to guess something that might annoy you in this episode, I don't know if it would have been Rapti. I want to talk about the ticket taker guy because he is a pretty typical teenage character. You know, his character model looks a bit like uh, Mike, uh, Buster's big brother, Mike, just in mm, like a baseball style. cap. Yeah, a little bit. And so there's a couple of times that they run into this guy and he's got a very particular way of speaking. So DW and Bud are too short. And the me- the measurement is this cardboard standout of a monkey and the monkey's name is Gumdrop. And, or so- sorry, the monkey's name is Bongo. I'm getting confused because I'm looking at the line from this ticket taker guy to which he says, Bongo doesn't lie, gumdrop. Now grow an inch or scram. And I was like, well, that's a strange way to say any any sentence close to that. So giving him a little bit of character, I suppose, this this one-off character. Um, we, and we see him a couple more times. Did you, did you get a beat on this guy? Is he throwaway character of the week or is he uh no 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 no. don't worry i have someone for throwaway character of the week uh which uh i i realized when you abbreviate throwaway character of the week by the way for those paying attention it's taco tf uh or taco tw rather taco tw um but no taco tw this week is not this uh kind of bratty teen who has questionable fashion i may add he's wearing like a turtleneck under a V-neck sweater under a vest. Mm. Kind of a weird look. I'll have to take your word for it. I'm not the fashion conscious one of us two. I was just like, yeah, that's a normal thing for a teenager to wear or or maybe college aged. Uh, so this, of course, is very frustrating for DW and Bud. We do see Emily, speaking of her from the previous story, Emily asks if they want to go on bumpy boots, which is uh, bumper cars, but with cars that are shaped like different types of shoes bud says that bumpy boots is for babies and we cut into bumpy boots mr haney is in a shoe and he's having a delightful time it says this is wonderful so not only for babies and for mr haney which again that's why i was thinking of homer of like this is that's kind of a homer thing that you might have him do like gen earnestly enjoy bumper cars so Bud suggests that in order to get onto the ride, they have to make themselves taller. I do also want to mention really quick, Dad has Dad Reed has taken them to Wonder World. He has a bit of a running subplot here. It's mainly just a few background jokes. But what he's doing throughout this whole thing, as the kids are going on the rides, he is on his cell phone talking Ed Crosswire through basic kitchen functions at a party. And the end of this joke, as he's teaching him like how to heat up water, uh, ultimately, he teaches Ed Crosswire how to make cocktail weenies. So that's what he's up to this whole time. Uh, fun. This is always a fun little detail that we get to uh, look at when we watch the v- episodes on YouTube. Is you can see what part of the episode is most replayed. Oh yeah. Um, when you're scrubbing through, um, 
and for a second there from the the thumbnail, I actually thought it was the part where, uh, when Arthur's dad is is instructing Ed how to make the cocktail weenies. But now that I'm getting a closer look at the most replayed part, it's actually a different part that I'll mention once we get to it. All right. So their first idea is that DW and Bud strap waffles to their feet, and they do so by borrowing the scrunchies of the woman at the waffle stand. So they put the waffles on their feet, but the ticket taker stops them. This is where I wrote, the ticket taker talks like he's written by Diablo Cody, because he has a line here where he's like, ah, yes, the old waffle shoes. Listen, hush puppies. And I'm like, okay, what is this, Juno? Like, it's this weird, like, this. it feels like this guy just watched Juno and now is making it his entire personality. After that, they try putting newspapers in their hats to make themselves look bigger. That doesn't work. They pretend to be one person under one raincoat, which is classic. And DW even tries to resort to literally pulling Bud and making him taller. But that doesn't work either. At this point, DW is thinking that they should just just forget about the pact that they made entirely. And this is where we get another appearance of Rapti as well as Nadine, because Rapti, uh, reading glasses and all, reads from the big book of kids' laws about upholding the pact. And then Nadine comes in to counter-argue. It's funny, I'm watching like a legal uh, a legal show right now, so it's very like I've I've heard these types of conversations a lot lately, but usually on the practice, it's like there's a lot more on the line than just breaking a kid's pact. And there's a there's a good couple of lines where uh, you know Rapti says that both parties have to agree to not honor the pact. Pinocchio has a fascinating commentary on this, to which Nadine says, "I've read Pinocchio's commentary." Again, again, another Simpsons, <laughs> another Simpsons thing that's reminded me of. I'm familiar with the works of Pablo Neruda. So DW and Bud are pretty much out of options, but they discover that James, another person we talked about, went on the buzzard because he was just tall enough. DW is upset about this because James is a few months old, uh, younger than her, but is just that much taller than her. So they enact a plan. If they can't make themselves taller, they're going to make Bongo the cardboard monkey shorter. And their plan is DW will distract the ticket taker while Bud tries to break Bongo at his legs to make him just that much shorter. They get, We see a montage of them gathering up everything they need. So DW's disguise is a rainbow wig and star shades. And she's going to tell the ticket taker jokes. And Bud's going to take the hammer from one of the carnival games and break the cardboard. So they try this. It does not work. The the like the the hammer that he's using is not a real hammer. It's like a fun little children's hammer, and the ticket taker sees through DW's disguise right away. However, after all that, a different guy takes over for the ticket taker because it's his break, and he just lets them go on. Now, is this the Taco TW? Still not the Taco TW. Oh, man. We're running uh, out of oh. Taco TW is actually the two kids getting off the ride as uh, DW and Bud get on. Right. Um, one girl goes, someone take my barth bags. Still not the Taco TW. The Taco TW is the kid with the googly eyes. <laughs> I know who you're goes, talking about. That is, by and large, the throwaway <laughs> character of the week, and probably the highlight of this second episode. That I'm, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. There's not really 
a great way to describe this. You would just have to see it. Yeah, as you said, DW and Bud finally get to go on the ride, but they get there and they start to get nervous. Earlier when they encountered James, he's really dizzy. He has to like catch himself. And as you said, there are people getting off of the buzzard and their eyes are spinning comically and they're staggering around. And yeah, there is that one kid. We get the close up on his face and he's literally, the eyes are spinning. He doesn't know where he's going. And it is pretty funny. I also want to point out here that when that when that woman is like, oh, my barf bags, it's the old barf bags from the Hurlworld episode. Which, oh my goodness, how long ago was that? Was that like, was that like episode four? Like, that's a it's, really early episode. It's way back there. I'm really pleased that they went back to get that design. It is very, it's very memorable. Like, it's it sticks around in my memory to which I was like, oh, those are the old barf bags. So they're still using those. And... DW and Bud decide then to break their pact. They are it's a bit just a bit too scary. They don't want to they don't want to do this after all. And they are glad that they did, and they have a much better time going on bumpy boots instead, which is a little bit more their speed right now. So the DW and Bud D double shot is uh we managed to make our way through it, and we certainly had our opinions about characters in there and what have you. Let's talk about the episodes as a whole. Lucas, let's start with the Tattletale Frog. How did this one strike you? Well, I would say that uh, it's hard to not compare these two episodes because they're the same pairing, right? It's both DW and Bud episodes. Um, and I think I was a little bit more engaged with the Telltale Frog, or the Tattletale Frog, rather, just because there's some funnier DW moments. Uh, Bud's kind of really in the background. He's sort of, like you said, the fall guy for DW. It doesn't really uh, have much agency in the plot whatsoever. It's more of a DW story. Still not my favorite episode or anything. Um, just the one I prefer of the two. Uh, it's fun to watch kind of DW do this cover-up and just how bad of a liar she is. And almost all of her plans are kind of foiled in spectacular fashion. And okay, moral about, hey, just come clean. You're going to feel better if you come clean instead of kind of uh, layering lies on top of one another. Mm -hmm. uh, but not a great episode by any means. What did you think, Will? Yeah, kind of in the same way. It's like, it's it, it, it's fine. And really, the most notable thing for us as we were talking about is that this doesn't need to be DW and Bud. And it, you begin to realize, especially the more that Bud's here, he is the new character to put with DW. Like I I'll be surprised if we see a DW episode that is just her and Emily or just her and James or maybe even just her and the Tibble twins. Like I can't imagine now that they would have a DW episode without Bud, which is eh, I'm not crazy about it cuz I'm not crazy about about Bud. And so my feeling coming out of this is a little bit more negative, but I think it's because of what we spoke about with Bud and how he's just kind of not really a character. This is like this is fine morally. I think it's an interesting idea to uh, adapt the Telltale Heart for a much more lower stakes uh, DW plot. So that's that's kind of neat. And there's in both of these, there's uh, some good lines. So yeah, like decent. But then it also got me thinking about like why is Bud here? Now I feel it makes more sense with. Um, with the second part here, which is uh, DW and Bud's higher purpose, I almost just wish that they had split these up into different episodes, just so it wasn't the both of them back to back. 
Um, but this one at least is like, we're just having a little bit more fun. We're doing something zany and Bud is much more of a cartoonish character because there's just not as much depth to him. So when we're doing like silly stuff, like trying to get on a roller coaster, um, they, I, I'm a little bit more willing to let it slide. It's just that when like we require Bud to have any sort of, I, I hesitate to use the word nuance, but at least DW has like identifiable characteristics. Like when we, when we need Bud to do the same, he can't hold that weight up yet. So when he needs to be a cartoon character, it's a little bit easier to swallow. Uh, this was also like decent. It was, pre- it was pretty fun. Again, a couple of fun lines and, uh, it's good to see, in, and again, in both of these cases, it's really good to see the deep Arthur lore again with, like, Wonder World and the barf bags and all of that kind of stuff. So I appreciated seeing that again, and there were some more goofy situations in the second part. But again, yeah, I'm, I'm at least pleased that neither of these are, like, stinkers. They're just like, yeah, they're fine, because we've been critical in the past of, like, some of DW's stories being... Um, a bit more kitty, which is fine. It's just when you're in your 30s watching this, it's a little bit harder to get through. Well, really good point because I was a little bit harsher on this second one. I think that, um, you know, me as an adult, I think this episode's probably a lot more exciting if you're watching it as a child because you get to go to Wonder World. This is like the closest you get to going to Wonder World. Yeah. And so it's a little bit more experiential in that way. Like, wow, we're getting to watch DW and Bud go on these rides and try to get on this one ride. For me, I just could not care less about this plot. I couldn't yeah. care. I don't care if they get on the ride or not. I don't care about Bud. There's no moral in this episode. Like I said, the novelty of this episode is getting to see Wonder World. Um, and for me, I don't really care about that that much. So it's kind of lost on me. But that's that's more uh, a failing of my perspective of being a grown man watching this kid's show and less of a failing of Arthur, if anything. Yeah, I wasn't exactly looking forward to this to this episode, but it turned out to be okay. We're just we want more from Bud. We would like to see, we would like to see more, and not like more of his presence. Like we want to see a a, a a bit of a depth, any sort of characteristic, maybe like a negative characteristic. Like I suppose you could say annoying, but I don't think that that's like supposed to be in in universe. Like he's the annoying kid. I think we just find him annoying. <laughs> So hopefully, but there's a lot more episodes to go, so we'll have to wait and see. Thanks a lot for joining us for this episode of Elwood City Limits. We really appreciate you listening in. Uh, A couple things here, by the way, didn't note this at the top here, but very important. If you want to support us, uh, we are nominated for the Coast's Best of Halifax Awards. If you go to vote.thecoast.ca, you can vote for us in the Arts and Entertainment category under Best Podcast. And please do. You will likely need to sign up if you don't have an account on the Coast's website, which means you will also likely need a postal code that is to our local region. Now, however you get that postal code is up to you. I believe in you, but please, we would really appreciate the vote. We would really like to be able to win something this year while we still have the opportunity. So vote.thecoast.ca. If you haven't already, uh, the voting will end in early September. So uh, sooner rather than later, please and thank you. And our schedule continues here. Next time, we are going to be, well, first of all, patrons, you're going to have your next episode of ECL Origins as we complete the two-parter of Mainframe Entertainment. We're talking about 
Is it Beast Wars or is it Beasties? We're going to find out exactly what all that means. We're going to be talking about the history of Beast Wars or Beasties Wars uh, on ECL Origins, a show that we both loved when we were kids and I imagine still have a great affinity for now. We're going to talk about it all and we're really excited to do that. That's coming your way. Uh, so that'll be here. If you're listening to this on Patreon, that'll be here for you next week as we head into September. If you're listening on the free feed, you will be getting a free preview of that uh, the week after you listen to this. And then we'll be back to Elwood City Limits. Our next episode of Arthur is going to be Best Wishes and The Tardy Tumbler as we move on through Season 18. And I imagine by this point, we're getting into back-to-school season. Lucas, I didn't know this, but, like, kids in America go back to school at the end of August? Yes, I did know this because I'm going to be in America uh, oh, that's very right. soon. And I've had to email guidance counselors and stuff because of my job. Um, so, um, yeah, short school. I, I think that's because they end their school year in like April. Oh, I see. Eight, wow, that's even earlier than I realized. Well, it's, it's not what I'm used to. But if you're getting ready to go back to school, uh, no matter where you are, Um, We wish you the best, and we'll be with you into that transition as we move into September here on Elwood City Limits. Thank you again very much for listening and for supporting us. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... A pact is a solemn vow which must not be broken. We'll see you next time.